It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Peak Northwest, an outdoors and travel podcast by The Oregonian and Oregon Live, dedicated to the adventure and exploration of our beautiful Pacific Northwest. I'm Jamie Hale. And I'm Jim Ryan. And together we take you to some of the most beautiful and interesting destinations in our region, discussing where to go, what to do, and places to see. And today we're headed west of the Willamette Valley to the northern coast range and the site of some of Oregon's most devastating wildfires in the last 100 years. We're talking, of course, about the Tillamook Burn, a series of wildfires that burned the same forest four times between 1933 and 1951, with a fire breaking out like clockwork every six years. That forest is still recovering from those fires today, And it offers a really great opportunity for Oregonians who may want to see what a forest in recovery looks like. Yeah, I mean, we've got obviously numerous examples throughout the state of what forests look like in various stages of recovery. Of course, you could go out to the Columbia River Gorge. You could hit any number of areas that have burned in the last few decades. But the Tillamook Burn is probably, it is undoubtedly, the largest and most catastrophic example that our state has seen. Yeah, I mean, in terms of acreage, I think some of these most recent wildfires collectively may have surpassed that. Sure. But at the time, the Tillamook burn was, I mean, and and still, if you compare it to some of these fires today, was absolutely severe. And the fact that it all burned the same area means that it wasn't just, you know, like we're seeing in some of these wildfires today where part of the forest is burned, part of the forest wasn't. This forest burned to the ground, down to the soil was scorched. Because it just kept coming through every six years and trees that may have still been standing but were, you know, dead, those were gone. So it really is amazing to walk through today and see a forest where 70 years ago there was nothing. Yeah, for sure. And part of the reason we're doing this episode, right, is maybe injecting a little bit of hope uh, after a really terrifying, horrible, historic, I mean, any number of ways to describe it wildfire season that scorched i think it was ultimately approximately a million acres here in the state that's wild and most of that happened in a pretty short period of time too right what was those those labor day windstorms that did most of that damage wasn't it jim well yeah i remember i had an unrelated uh you know couple day jaunt into the wilderness up in washington uh set out i think on a monday or tuesday came out of the wilderness, uh, kind of knowing that there had been uh, extreme fire danger in Oregon, came out and it was like, oh, this is a different world. 
Yeah. And it's, you know, been, like you said, Jim, really terrifying and really sad for a lot of people who have, you know, for maybe generations been going to some of these natural places. I think the spot that a lot of people are grieving especially hard for is Opal Creek yeah. and the Opal Creek wilderness there. Um, you know, that was just a really, really special spot for a lot of people. Beautiful old growth forest and just a, a really gorgeous spot. And that area, from what we've heard from forest officials so far, uh, was burned pretty severely. So again, while there was sort of that mosaic pattern, as they say, throughout the forest where some areas were okay, the Opal Creek Wilderness seems to be one of the places where most of it was not okay. Yeah. And to add that, the kind of historic mining town village, uh, you know, however you want to label it, of Jawbone Flats, really in quite bad shape at this point as well with i think jamie it was you reported essentially all of the buildings destroyed there yeah yeah um there was uh basically one recreated cabin that survived but every historic building is is burned to the ground and even a lot of the newer buildings there are also just completely gone that fire that burned through there just burned so hot and so fast with those winds that a lot of the stuff in there just didn't stand a chance. I was talking to some people out there with the Ancient Forest Center at Opal Creek, and what I was hearing was just a lot of grief. And I think this is pretty common. You know, this is what I think a lot of people go through when a beautiful natural place is, you know, harmed or destroyed this way. We saw this with the Eagle Creek fire, right? Mm-hmm. Where a lot of our favorite places that are like, you know, church for a lot of people, um, burned, burned to the ground or badly scorched. You go through this grieving process because this is, it's like losing a loved one. You know, it's losing a beloved forest. And that's really difficult. And the questions that I've been hearing from people and that are really sort of naturally arise are, well, how long is it going to take for this forest to grow back? Am I ever going to see a forest here again in my life? Are my kids, are my grandkids, how long will it take? And that's one of the reasons that I really wanted to go hike through the Tillamook Burn. So I went out there just to go through some of the trails that were there around where the fire started and where things were really badly devastated. And I talked with some foresters um, with the Tillamook State Forest to try to get an idea of, you know, what kind of effort goes into restoring a forest? Uh, What are the different ways, the different strategies you use to try to bring a place like this back? And how long does it take for a forest to grow back? And the cool thing about hiking through the Tillamook Burn is you can kind of see, it's been about 70 years since those fires ended. And you can kind of see you know, an example of here's one forest and this is what it looks like. This is how big the trees are. And really how that landscape has, you know, like forest officials or fire officials will say as fires are burning or in the aftermath, how that landscape has recovered. I mean, you can definitely note as as you did in your written story um, about this. You can see these large stumps, right, or remnants of fire clearly areas where these humongous trees used to stand and and no longer do but even just passing through from a vehicle you can tell i mean this is a fully functioning forest at this point and and has been for years you know it's it's sort of an imperfect comparison looking at a place like opal creek and a place like tillamook state forest so i do want to point that out too yeah because a place like opal creek it's a wilderness area so that forest it's going to burn they're going to let trees fall as they may in the forest. Um, They're going to let that area recover just sort of naturally as it goes through it. 
The Tillamook State Forest is what they call a working forest, which means it's designed to be logged regularly, um, as well as having areas set aside for recreation. And again, this area, this forest was completely gone. So they went through after it burned and they replanted the forest by hand, basically. They planted, I think, 72 million Douglas fir seedlings by hand and then dropped another billion seedlings by helicopter. So this was a basically a human-created forest, what we see now. Yeah, and, and that that's not going to happen with Opal Creek. Right? Opal Creek, no. you know, is going to do what Opal Creek does. And maybe a slightly better comparison could be some of the areas severely burned in the Eagle Creek fire. I don't know, Jamie, is that uh, a little bit more one-for-one, one, I guess? Yeah, definitely. Depending on where the area is and how it's managed, that'll determine what the response is in terms of recovery. I asked um, a spokeswoman with the Willamette National Forest, and she said, look, Opal Creek, we're pretty much going to be hands-off in that wilderness area. Some of the other areas that burned the Willamette National Forest, they're probably going to go in and do more active restoration. So that might mean planting seedlings or planting trees, um, doing some thinning, really kind of working with the forest and trying to grow it in a specific way. And that's the Tillamook State Forest told me they're, they've done as well. You know, they've gone in there and they have really kept an eye on it. Because when you're planting a forest by hand, you inevitably run into some complications with it. It's not perfect. Yeah. You know, the, the forester who's been around there for a while, he told me those Douglas fir seedlings they put in there at first, they all came from a different part of the state where they were not as immune to a certain fungus that forces the trees to drop needles. Hmm. And makes them grow slower. So they had to go in there and replant a bunch of Douglas fir seedlings that were more immune to this fungus, uh, you know, which just, again, sort of slows down the process of regrowing the forest. But it's a, it's a really hands-on approach they've taken to really bringing that forest back to life. Very interesting. I mean, you are managing a forest starting from scratch. And uh, that's got to be a wildly difficult thing to do. Also, just fascinating, uh, especially now, Jamie. I, I don't know. Walk me through the forest. You went on some of these hikes just recently. What does it feel like in there? And maybe does it offer any signs of hope for the future here in Oregon? Yeah. You know, with all those caveats that we just put out there, it's, you know, definitely a forest that is that is lush, um, that has a lot of trees and a lot of brush. It's certainly in a state of of regrowth. You can kind of tell. Yeah. You know, the trees are tall, but they're not towering. They're not really thick around. Um, you can tell that a lot of these trees are not going to last. You know, the bigger trees get, the fewer of them are going to be around because they take up more space. So it's still kind of in that sort of juvenile state, it seems like to me. Um, when I was talking to the forester, he said, you know, 150 years is about what it takes to become considered, quote unquote, old growth. And this forest is at about 70 years, again, with some of those caveats you mentioned. So it's, you know, maybe about halfway there. But you see just a lot of these these sort of um, trees making their way up, um, just a lot of really thick brush around these creeks. And you can tell, though, that there's um, that there was a bigger forest there. There's not a ton of big stumps, like you said, out there, because, again, everything burned. Yeah. But you see a few of these larger stumps that are still around, and they give you an idea of, wow just how big some of the trees were that were in there. And surely those weren't even the largest of the trees. And this is an area that was old growth forest, an ancient forest to be sure. Um, 
you know, but even in those situations, you only have a few big, you know, enormous trees. So, you know, what's left that we can see shows some of the potential of what it could be again, though it might be quite some time before we see any of the trees that were like the sizes we see in, you know, these old black and white photos when loggers first came through. For sure. Well, Jamie, I want to hear a little bit more, maybe some recommendations on where to go hiking out in the Tillamook Burn area. But first, let's take a short break. All right, folks, we are back talking about the Tillamook Burn area. And Jamie, you recently did a good bit of hiking up around there as part of a story on, you know, what it feels like to go hiking in a forest that is recovering in the wake of devastating fires. Of course, these fires in the Tillamook Burn happening several decades ago. What you've come away with is obviously lots of good sentiments that we shared in the first half of the show here, but also some recommendations for folks on where to go out in the Tillamook Burn area, and maybe just simply offers an alternative uh, this time of year to maybe some other spots that you might choose to turn to more regularly. Yeah, this is actually a really good spot to go hiking, especially for folks in the Portland metro area, um, and especially folks on the west side of the metro area. Jim, have you hiked around the Tillamook State Forest very much? You know, I, I honestly, I have a, a difficult time remembering kind of who manages what in that area. Um, <laughs> sure. The coast range is a little bit of a labyrinth to me, but I have done a, a, a few hikes out there and have actually really enjoyed everything I've done. Yeah, I've always felt like it's a place that for years I just drove through you mm-hmm. know, on the way to the coast because there's not like, you know, a lot of huge trailheads with big signs saying, hey, there's a beautiful hike right here. You know, it, and there's not a lot of places to pull off. So, I mean, it, it's one of these these places where you kind of have to know where you're going. But once you do, there's a, a lot of really great sort of all-season hikes, especially in the, in the coast range there, that I've just kind of coincidentally been trying to do more of over the last year and a half or so. If we're looking specifically at the Tillamook Burn area, there are, I'd say, about six or so hikes that offer some really, really beautiful views and a close look at what we've been talking about, this forest that was so severely burned 70 years ago. So I know one of them that you really highly recommended, and I'll admit I have not done this one here, but you're kind of one of your number one picks or the number one pick is the Gales Creek Trail, which is a hair under 13 miles all in all and located right near the place where the Tillamook Burn began. Uh, you can get there from a few different trailheads, which allows you to kind of pick and choose how far you want to go, which is nice. I don't know, maybe the most popular or easiest to get to uh, being the Summit Trailhead, which is on the side of the highway there, Oregon 6, and the southern end uh, of that Gales Creek Trail. Yeah, I love this trail. It's pretty much right there at where the fires all started. Most of the Tillamook burn fires started from logging operations, Mm -hmm. and they were heavily logging in that particular area. So when you're hiking through there, this is really kind of the the ground zero for the Tillamook burn. And like you said, it's it's a really long hiking trail if you want to do the whole thing or if you want to do a lot of it, or you can just do a piece of it. I mean, I just basically hiked, you know, maybe five miles of it or so from that summit trailhead, and it was a beautiful little area, quiet forest. You know, again, some of those smaller trees, like I said, but I mean, just the sunlight coming in over the hills, 
filtering in in the morning, just casting everything in sort of that white light and that kind of golden glow. It was a gorgeous little spot. Sounds super good. And if you maybe have already done that, you're looking for something a little different, but still close by. The Story Burn Trail is another really good option. So that connects to the trail we were just talking about, offering, I don't know, kind of just a slightly different look at uh, that recovering forest that we've talked about throughout the show here. And you can also connect to this trail via the Gales Creek Trailhead or a different one uh, down the road a little bit. Yeah, there's a nice loop trail you can do um, that connects the Gales Creek Trail to the Story Burn Trail and brings you back around to the Summit Trailhead. But it does require a short walk along the side of the highway. If if people are uncomfortable with that, it's only about a tenth of a mile or two tenths of a mile or so. So it's not long. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wouldn't say it's entirely unsafe, but I definitely could see some people being a little uncomfortable. Yeah. But otherwise, you can do sort of an out and back connecting the Gales Creek Trail, the Storyburn Trail, seeing parts of it. There's um, a really nice viewpoint when you get sort of uh, halfway down the Storyburn Trail that looks out west into the coast range and gives you some really nice look at that at those forested hills. And again, gives you kind of an idea of you know, like this is a full forest and this is something that if you looked at it 70 years ago, there would have been nothing. Kind of wild, really, when you think about it. And plus, I'm a sucker for a good loop trail. I'm not ideal <laughs> right? to be along the side of the highway, you know, even for a tenth of a mile or something like that. That's not my favorite. I think, though, I would probably be tempted to make a loop out of that. Uh, You just get to see twice as much. And that is alluring to me. Um, The next two on your list, I'm going to actually loop together here. Elk and Kings Mountains. So you can top out on two summits here in the coast range. And they're pretty spectacular. From the top of Elk, Of course, you can look out over the range, see kind of this sweeping view of the state forest. Um, I will say it is the tougher of the two. Uh, (laughs) I think, Jamie, it's like, what, a mile and a half short and punchy, to say the least. Yeah, yeah. Elk Mountain is a tough little hike. It might be like 1.8, like you said, something real, real um, short like that. Actually, I think it's, it's, you know, in terms of just steepness, like elevation gain per distance hike, is steeper than Dog Mountain, oh. steeper than like anything you'll find in the gorge. It is just a short, steep little hike, but the views are spectacular. And Jim, you actually can do a loop you can. from All Elk right. Mountain to Kings Mountain. It is, um, I've been told, I've not done it, but I've been told it is an extremely difficult and challenging hike that, you know, folks who are maybe training to do more, you know, severe mountain hikes might want to do, um, but it is possible. Kings Mountain, the the summit to that one is, you know, it's still, I would say, a steep and difficult hike. It's not quite as hard as Elk Mountain, but it definitely still will test your legs a little bit going up. It sounds like it. And your knees going down, if you will. Exactly. Oh, that's the other part, right? Sounds like a test regardless. Yeah, it's a good conditioning hike. Um, If you're trying to get in shape to do some big hikes over the summer, for me this year, it was like a, let me see if I'm still in shape enough. <laughs> like, um, you know, made it to the top, felt good. So, you know, that was great. But um, it's definitely one of those hikes that you you earn the view at the top. For sure. And I looked back at, at some of our previous coverage and you were right there. Uh, Elk Mountain is 1.8 miles from the main parking area to the summit. Um, and in doing so, it's about 1,800 feet of elevation gain. 
according to a GPS track, you would track down. And that is darn steep uh, for any <laughs> folks out there looking to go tackle these trails. Uh, kudos to you, uh, especially if you turn it into a loop and tack on that extra mileage. Thankfully, though, the final two choices we have, you're not going up as much. That's for sure. For one, I guess University Falls, Jamie, we've talked about this before on the podcast. You are the waterfall aficionado. Uh, take it away. Yeah. I mean, we talked on our Coast Range Waterfalls episode about all the different kinds of waterfalls in the Northern Coast Range. University Falls is just one of them. Um, it also happens to be one of them that is located in that Tillamook Burn area. So, you know, it's not a, a tall waterfall. When I was there in the wintertime, though, it was just gushing. It oh, was yeah. just enormous. And it's kind of tucked away in the forest there. So it's just kind of a fun little thing to, to stumble upon. It, the getting there can be a little tricky, both in terms of driving and in terms of hiking. It's not hard, but, you know, you really have to kind of have good directions and know where you're going to find it. Oh, but it's yes. a really cool landmark if you're looking for something different in there. It's a great spot to go check out. I think I remember this part of the conversation about either on or off the podcast. I don't recall, but about the ability to get a little turned around back there. Yeah, it's one of these places where you just have a lot of kind of like roads crisscrossing the trail, you know, and it's like, do I turn here? Do I turn there? Um, there's some clear cuts in the area. So again, because it's a working forest, you have logging and then just alongside recreation there. So naturally, that's going to cause a little bit of confusion in terms of roads, trails, that sort of thing. Um, and University Falls, if you just hike, you know, maybe 100 yards from there, you're going to run right into a clear cut. Oh. So again, when we talk about the this area being kind of the mixture of those two worlds, it's really pretty clear there. Hmm. And I will say, Jim, as as kind of weird as it is to see a clear cut in a forest that we otherwise really cherish for still standing, it does kind of give you an idea of what this land looks like when it is barren, when it, when it is, you know, all the trees are gone. Mm -hmm. So if you're kind of looking for that that past and future look at the forest there, that gives you a really good idea, actually. Interesting. Uh, wouldn't have picked that out myself, but you're right. Uh, that does give <laughs> pretty clear glimpse, so to speak. Um, silver linings. Jim. Yeah, silver. We're painting silver linings here in 2020, <laughs> folks. Uh, Got to do it. Got to have it. Love to see it. So the last one on our list actually piques my interest. I have not been out here, but if you're looking to get a little bit more mileage under your belt, uh, the 22.6 mile Wilson River Trail, really great option for some long, long distance hiking or trail running here. Wilson River Trail is a great, great spot. You know, it's relatively flat. There's some ups and downs, of course, but it's not like hiking up to Elk Mountain or anything like that. Um, and like you said, Jim, it's, it's really long and there's a lot of trailheads that you can kind of dip in and out of. So if you want to make it sort of a long day hike and have a couple cars, you can do that. If you want to make it, you know, um, just a piece at a time, shorter trips, I've done that before. Um, it's a really beautiful spot. The trail winds past the Wilson River and comes out there kind of behind the Tillamook Forest Center. So if you've ever been to the Tillamook Forest Center, you head across the bridge back behind the museum. You see a trail there along the river. That's the Wilson River Trail. And it just goes east and west from there for just miles and miles. It's a really great all-season hike, too. Of course, it does get pretty rainy there in the coast range in the winter. So if you're going to do a winter hike, just prepare to get wet. Bring that extra raincoat, bring some clothes for the car, maybe a, 
a tarp or something to put your muddy hiking shoes on because it might just be one of those outings. Yeah, that's where you get the rubber rain pants out. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's something. <laughs> I don't have the rubber ones. I've got like your standard bike Neither commuter rain pants, uh, but the rubber ones probably wouldn't be a bad call. Let's be honest. I, I was out in that trail. I tried to go hike that trail back in January. And, you know, I think I got maybe a half a mile down and I was just soaked to the bone Yeesh. already. So I turned around and came back a week later. But it's one of those places. I mean, the coast range, the reason that forest grows so quickly is because it gets so much rain and moisture coming off of the Pacific Ocean. So it's great for, again, regrowing that forest. It's a little bit tougher when you want to go enjoy it in the rainy season. <laughs> spoken like someone who has done such a thing, Jamie. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, is right. <laughs> well, I think that signals time to wrap it up here. But until next time, folks, you can watch our videos on the Oregonians YouTube channel. Follow us on Instagram at Peak Northwest and view all of our travel and outdoors coverage on OregonLive.com slash travel. Please leave us a rating or review if you enjoy the show. And if you want to support this podcast and our local journalism, please consider a subscription to Oregon Live. You can find details, of course, at OregonLive.com slash pod support. This episode of the show was produced by me, Jim Ryan, alongside Jamie Hale and Elliot Noose. Stay safe and happy travels, everyone. Until next time, we leave you with this 10 seconds of Zen.